Hello and welcome to the Global Digital Futures Podcast. I'm your host, Chipo Mapondera. The researcher on this episode was Eliza Bacon and the editor was Dervila Vrenan. Today we're speaking to Darlington Akogo, who is the founder and director of artificial intelligence at Gudra and its subsidiaries, which include Mino Health, an AI health tech company, and Mino Health AI Lab, an AI healthcare, biotech, and biomedical research lab. Darlington is also the lead for TG AI for Radiology under the United Nations ITU and World Health Organization's focus group on artificial intelligence for health, which is AI4H. He is also an advisory board member and an ambassador to West Africa at AI Expo Africa, the largest business-focused AI community in Africa. He is also a member of the MIT Tech Review Global Panel, and he's a global shaper under the World Economic Forum's initiative. Today, we're talking to Darlington about the future of medical AI in Africa. Hi, Darlington. Thank you so much for joining us. Hello, Chipo. Great being here. Thanks for having me. So just to jump in and maybe give our listeners a bit of an overview, um, could you briefly explain how AI can be harnessed for healthcare? Like what sort of technologies are being used and which areas of healthcare are they being used in? Right. So um, if you look at what AI itself is, it's just a way of automating things that are being done usually by human beings. So I prefer to define AI as a way to give machines human-like intelligence. So if you take it from that approach, what are human beings capable of? If you look at healthcare, we have experts. We have clinicians across the board, radiology, dermatology, and then the lists and domains go on and on. If you look at biomedical research, the same thing. So these are very tedious workload. The whole goal of AI in healthcare is that where there are gaps, how can you have an AI system based on data or based on expertise from human beings, learn how to perform some of this task so that it then aids the clinicians or the biomedical scientists in this domain to be able to do their work. Or in, in cases where there, there are no experts or clinicians even present, how can AI be a replacement or an alternative in those instances too. So yeah, taking that approach, it makes things very, very broad. So apart from that, which has been done today, which is a whole lot, almost every medical domain, there's more than enough research already ongoing as far as how AI could be used. But if once you take that general approach, it means that even things that have not been touched on is possible. So uh, so far as there's some sort of data to be collected, you can have an AI system help either in automating task or serving as a support system for clinicians or placement if there isn't any clinician presence. Right. So you speak about how AI can be used to harness data. So what does that mean for sort of practical implementations? Like how are you using AI at Mino Health to strengthen healthcare in your work? Yeah, so we have multiple projects that we are involved in. One key one has to do with radiology. So AI being applied to radiology, 
So for example, what we are doing is that we have this AI system that is looking at diagnosing about 14 different thoracic conditions or chest conditions. So you're looking at things like pneumonia, fibrosis, hernia, and then the list goes on. So what this system basically does, or let's take it from how the system is built. The general idea here is that we take medical images, in this case, chest x-rays, and then we take annotations or labels from radiologists. So based on the work that radiologists have done, they've looked at medical images and they've concluded, they've concluded if patients have pneumonia, fibrosis or not, so once you have huge enough data of these images tied to these labels from radiologists, an AI system can look at it, look at thousands upon thousands of this image and identify the patterns that, okay, each time the radiologist says that this patient or says patients have pneumonia, there is some sort of pattern that is present across all these images. So it picks up those patterns and based on it, it's now a learned pattern or Based on that, it creates this model that in the future, if you give it an, a chest x-ray, it can use that model to then be able to decide is pneumonia, fibrosis, or hernia present in this new image. So that is the general idea. This is what we've been doing. But yeah, that's the high-level aspect to it. There's a lot of rigor from a clinical aspect that is involved in this because especially you are trying to deploy a solution that is going to be working with human health. So making sure that you've properly clinically evaluated this, where the AI system is also not learning false patterns. So maybe you collected all the images of pneumonia from one particular medical device, and then the device that says that there's no pneumonia present coincidentally happens to come from another device, another facility. You might assume the AI system is learning the difference between pneumonia present and then uh, or let's say positive and negative cases of pneumonia. But in reality, it's actually learning images from different medical devices, which is not what you wanted to learn. So, yeah, from a high level uh, point, that is the main thing here. But you you need to do a lot of work of clinically evaluating everything to make sure it works. So uh, that is a portion of what we do AI for radiology. It's one of the key things that we've thrown a lot of focus on, especially going through standards, regulations, clinical evaluations, and working across the board, working with partners, including uh, ITU and WHO. And then we just recently formed another global strategy group with Oxford University. So we've done a lot of work in this space, but apart from that, there are also other sectors like malaria. So one, we've been using AI for malaria, so we work with the West African Center for Cell Biology of Infectious Pathogens. So one challenge with malaria has been that even up to today, even though we've done a lot of research, we don't, we don't fully understand immunity or malaria immunity. So being in Ghana, for example, there are certain towns. So there's one town very somewhere within the eastern aspect of Ghana, which is the people there have higher immunity towards malaria, which is vastly different from uh, people in Accra. So people in Accra have lower immunity. The other town is Kintampo. So when you compare Kintampo to Accra, you will realize that there's a huge difference between immunity. We know that, yes, people in Kintampo have a lot of uh, cases of malaria. So we know 
with, with excess exposure to malaria and cases, you, you end up building up immunity. And then whenever you have reduced cases, the immunity reduces or eventually goes away, which is why you have cases of uh, people traveling from either Europe. So you have Europeans or Caucasians that go to West Africa and then they get bitten by a mosquito. And, and this, is, this becomes a life-threatening case which the idea of that actually sounds very, very foreign to a Ghanaian because in Ghana, the chances of you ending up in a life-threatening case out of malaria is quite low unless you're a pregnant woman or a child, which is also not so common in specifically Ghana, other countries that also have issues with malaria. Anyway, so how AI comes into this picture is that scientifically, yes, we it's still not clear what is responsible, what what biological variables are responsible for that immunity, those differences between those with high and low immunity. So what we did was that we developed AI system within Mino Health and then looked at uh, antibody data, cytokine data, to be able to analyze and identify patterns that clearly differentiate this high immunity group from this low immunity group. And we're able to identify some very core variables and attributes. And so Based on that, you have this biomedical immunologist can then further study this virologist and then potentially you could even develop uh, vaccines based on this. So that's a very interesting work that we did. Yeah, And then in the face of COVID-19, we've also done a number of projects to respond to COVID-19. We've mobilized our communities to, uh, towards developing AI systems that can then look at medical images and determine if there are damages related to COVID-19 that are present. So, yeah, there's, there's just to cover a number of things that we've done as far as AI for health. Uh, there, there's a lot more, but I doubt we'll be able to cover all of them. Let's take a short break. You are listening to the Global Digital Futures Podcast with Chipo Mapondera where we discuss the latest in digital media and technology in the global south. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. Great. Yeah, that's incredibly fascinating. And what sort of jumps out at me, you mentioned quite a few things, but it sounds like the scope is so broad, but also that the technology can sort of give insights or discoveries into different aspects of the health of healthcare and different aspects of different epidemics and issues. And wh- while you were speaking, you mentioned a few organizations that you're affiliated with and some, you know, work that you've been doing in Ghana, etc. It's quite interesting. It seems that in your work, you are sort of being exposed to what's happening in the West, what's happening in Africa and in Ghana and in other global South countries. So can you give maybe an overview of how AI is being used in healthcare globally versus how extensively it's being used in Africa and in the global South? And what are some of the considerations around that? Yeah, I think um, we we are in a very interesting time when it comes to AI for health globally. Um, So usually when you talk about AI for health, 
from a global perspective, they are the usual suspects, if you will, that people mentioned. So USA and then Europe. But the interesting thing here is that even in the US, right, there are a lot of research papers being published on AI for health. Uh, and then to some degree also in Europe and also to a slight lesser degree in Asia, specifically China. But then there are very few systems, there are very few systems that are actually being used in clinical sets. And, and this, this is a challenge globally. So there, there are also some, some countries or regions that a lot of people don't, don't usually look at or... There isn't a lot of media focus on them, but they've been doing an amazing job. South America being one. So through the our ITU and WHO focus group, pre-COVID-19, we actually had the opportunity of traveling to different regions and different countries around the world, working with stakeholders, to uh, Ministry of Health, working with the researchers and then the developers within those countries to look at the scope of AI for health challenges, regulations, and standards. And so through that work, we've identified a lot of efforts in places that they don't have that media attention. And so people are not aware of them globally. And one, one fascinating place has been South America, Brazil, specifically. There's a lot of work going on as far as AI for health that people don't know, know about. So in Africa, we are also in the early stages. And then... Similar to other parts of the world, the research side is much ahead of the development and then the clinical side. By that, I mean actually implementing these AI systems, clinical sets. And so in some sense, that is similar to all of healthcare. Research research is out of excessive research or sufficient research that you then develop solutions that are then uh, deployed in clinical sets. And so it might be so my next statement might be connected somehow to my bias, but I don't think USA and Europe are as far ahead as far as AI for health as many people would think. So you've probably seen a lot of papers about oh, AI was any, I, yeah, I'm just going to mention it. So Google, for example, Google developed an AI system that surpassed dermatologists, that surpassed this and this clinical group. But if you follow up on it, most of them are just research papers. There's no actual work that follows up on it. In that sense, I think China might actually be slightly ahead, but that's a very, very complex discussion to have because some will argue that China is ahead because maybe they are not looking at some of the standards and regulations that will at least make things take a while. So. Yeah, that's from a global perspective. I don't think anyone has fully mastered or fully solved AI for health yet. But there's a lot of amazing like just around the world. It's phenomenal. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I do want to get into sort of, you know, international cooperation and how that can address some of the imbalances in the global health sector. So I don't know... I mean, you could shed more light on this, but are there any sort of systemic issues? You mentioned some regulations. Are there global regulations that might affect some countries more adversely than others? Or are there maybe issues about gatekeeping where just, you know, geopolitically, let's say countries in the West have more resources, institutes, organizations, etc.? 
that perhaps um, can invest more into these types of this type of research and developments? I don't know. Would you be able to speak more on that? And if there are those sort of barriers and blockages, how um, organizations working internationally, truly globally, including with the global south, could you say a bit about that? Right, right. So I think some of the key uh, difference has to do with, on one hand, just the existing healthcare infrastructure within these regions and countries. It strongly differentiates these different regions and countries. In a sense, if prior to AI being introduced into healthcare, if you already had sufficient level of digitization in healthcare, so if you had the right infrastructure to be able to store a lot of medical records, a lot of medical images, then once that opportunity comes that, hey, with this data, you can actually build AI systems that solve very key problems in healthcare, then you are better positions to better position to take advantage of that. Funding is also a very, very strong other point. So there's a lot of research funds that are being allocated within some of these countries. As a matter of fact, almost all the research funds that support this sort of work in Africa comes from comes from uh, the West. So at the end of the day, yes, those researchers in those countries are better positioned to take advantage of those funding and be able to do much more. And then there's a lot of uh, government support, at least it's been growing over the years. We've seen some African countries that are taking AI seriously. There's been a lot of policy work. We've worked with African Union as far as developing strategies for AI in general. So yeah, there's a lot of catch-up to be done. So if you look at Global South compared to the other regions, there's definitely some difference. There are definitely some strong differences. So where global collaboration comes in is, so for funding, for example, if you put together consortiums, coalitions, groups, networks across Global South, the West, and you put this together, you're able to tap into certain funds that will allow you to then do some of this research and development work. But then it can itself be very tricky because yes, there's a lot of uh, politics that come with uh, that sort of global collaborations. It's good, but there's not a perfect relationship here. Depending on which fund you're, you are looking to uh, raise which institutions you're working with, it might be different. So this is probably not going to be diplomatic, and I'm not sure if I should even be saying this, but for example, UK. So a lot of UK funds have a weird structure uh, <laughs> when it comes to research. So that weird structure, basically, that is funds that are even allocated for research work in Africa. So the tricky thing is for most of them, the UK institution, a UK institution has to be the lead. And then basically how this whole thing is structured, you see that the fund will say, hey, we are working with African institutions, but then a lot of fund stays within the UK. I mean, this is not, I'm not specifically referring to anything. This is just a general dynamic that happens in the UK. So each country, we are fund, this international development funds, research funds, they all have very peculiar way of being, just a peculiar way that they exist. But then on the other hand, I mean, I don't think I fought any country for this. If if you are UK and you are locating taxpayers' money for research and development, of course, the UK UK's interest should be the first thing on your list. You don't owe any other country, especially if they are sovereign states, you don't owe them any 
sort of a nice treatment in that sense. So that makes sense. So the onus basically falls on the countries that are within this region. So the global south, within Africa, within uh, the Middle Middle East, to then allocate funding towards research and development. And even if we want to make the argument that, oh, these countries are poorer and then they don't have sufficient funds compared to the, the bigger nations or the far more developed nations, that is true, but then you still see within those countries that the money that they have, they do have more money than they make it seem, and they just they just they just haven't prioritized research and development enough. So some of these countries have like less than zero point one percent of their GDP uh, or national budgets allocated for research and development. At that rate, I mean, you are not. It's not as if you are actually doing something and then you are saying that international development agencies are not helping out. And even funding from international development agencies that go through the government of some of these countries are just mismanaged. It's horrible. So, yeah, that that kind of goes left field a bit. So, yes, corporate <laughs> collaborations are very, very important. They've been helpful, but it's not a perfect situation. I think there's a lot more that needs to be done. But for us, specifically, we've had the honor of working with very good partners. So we have one partnership with Imperial College London. So this is um, a network with Imperial College and then I think about 10 different institutions focused on digital diagnostics. So uh, there's this molecular diagnostic system that was initiated by Imperial College. And so Mino Health was brought on board as their EI partner. I serve as the chair for the data work package or yeah, co-chair for that. So it's been interesting. We've been working on that for about a year now. We just applied for funding for the second stage. We've made sure that at least some of the challenges that I raised earlier are addressed. So it doesn't seem like all the actual work and lead is being held within Imperial College. Uh, the fact that Mino Health is it's a startup. It's not even a university, but we are basically first and foremost partner when it comes to AI. And that work shows that at least uh, the people we are working with within, within Imperial College are willing to make changes. And as I mentioned, we just formed a new global strategy group. So this was started by uh, University of Oxford, specifically Oxford and Berlin. And then there are about 15 partners. Uh, Mino Health being one. So myself and then uh, the director of Aga Khan Development Institute in Pakistan, I think. So we are both co-chairs of that global strategy group. And that is also built out of that. So there are a lot of gaps that are being identified in the global south and LMICs when it comes to digital health and AI and how they can fully take impact and the fact that there are not sufficient funding to address some of these gaps. So we are utilizing this network, seeing the power that our partners in the Western side have, and then the fact that we are nearer to some of these challenges and we have strong perspectives that are also different from them. So utilizing all that to be able to pull in the right resources and then implement projects. So that is also another initiative that is looking at improving collaboration. So yeah, those those are some good examples of collaboration towards addressing some of the challenges you mentioned. Let's take a short break. Join the Global Digital Futures community. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at global underscore futures. Let's keep the conversation going. 
Yeah, really great. And thank you for your you know, very critical and honest, you know, perspectives on that. And it's just sort of reminded me or really clearly brought to light that even though it is AI and it's something, you know, very sophisticated, etc., it is actually a development, sustainable development issue at the end of the day, isn't it? So, um, you know, your these sort of collaborations and your work with uh, partner organisations, which is incredible, these are the sort of high-level steps, you know, in, t- in developing AI for health. So what does it look like for AI to be integrated into existing healthcare systems in local contexts, like on the ground, you know? What are some of the considerations with healthcare workers adapting to new systems or with resources and technical capacity. Working in Ghana, working with health facilities has been very interesting. So (laughs) I remember when we started, we went, so just getting data to test the AI, and you go to some health facilities and you find out they don't have any digital record at all. And in some sense, when it comes to medical images, they don't have any copies at all. So they make single copies and then they give it to uh, the patient because they are usually referred to from other facilities. So those are some of the test uh, tough scenarios that you deal with on the ground. And so some ways that we've worked around are, first of all, is identifying the right facilities to work with. So we currently have some partners that at least they have the necessary infrastructure at this stage that will allow us to be able to implement what we are trying to do. So we work with them. We have we provide data for clinical evaluation. We run pilots with them. Then as we proceed or as we progress, we will get to the point where we can actually have the system work in situations where they are very, very low digital infrastructure, which is the goal if we are trying to have the impact that we are trying to have. So if from a general point of view, if if let's say Mino Health started out the same as an AI for Health startup in, let's say, the UK or America, at this point, we would have diverted our path in a lot of ways just based on the fact that in Ghana, we have to deal with low internet connectivity. Uh, We'll have to deal with the fact that clinicians might not be so exposed to digital solutions, and so we have to simplify things a whole lot more. But then just also the clinical side too. So uh, being able to have systems even just the terminology. So there are certain things like if our AI system is done with a diagnosis, how it presents information, earlier versions of our system, for, for us as developers, it made sense. But then when we presented it to the clinicians, it had no way, there was nothing about it that connected to the usual process. So we had to change the terminologies, uh, change the presentation of information. So. Currently, our AI report looks more like a radiologist report, and then they can download it and then basically integrate it into what they are already doing. So there are some of these changes that you you just can only make when you work with people closely, clinicians closely, especially in your context. In our case, uh, that will be Ghana and Africa, and then you'll be able to adapt your solution to better suit their needs. Great. So you mentioned regulations so I just wanted to well you previously mentioned it you just mentioned it when you were speaking about China so I just wanted to find out more about what are the pressing regulatory or policy changes that would ensure 
a more sustainable future for AI and healthcare, let's say in Ghana and Africa. And how are different groups being engaged in these conversations, such as youths or entrepreneurs and people from the private sector? Mm, that's a really good question. So when it comes to the regulatory side, for starters, just a few years ago, no one had any answers to this. Uh, and I think the UN did a very good job to ITU and WHO for creating this focus group because they were also in the position to truly come up with an effort that is multilateral. So you have stakeholders from the whole world being involved in, in that work. And I think that's a good initiative. So some of the regulatory barriers, or if I had to, if I had to mention one, the key one has to do with just evaluating AI system properly. This is now being called machine learning auditing. So just probably auditing these AI systems, you realize that when the field, because again, AI is still in its infancy, we, there's a lot of amazing work, but the sudden boom of deep learning system is still very young. So what was considered evaluation just a few years ago only flies if you're going to publish a paper. It's not even remotely sufficient if you're trying to uh, deploy something in a clinical setting especially. So healthcare having the history of, of uh, clinical trials, random clinical trials for medicines, like we've seen with the uh, vaccine, even with COVID-19, this is probably the shortest it's ever taken to develop a vaccine. Not probably, we, we know that for a fact. So that level of rigor of taking your time, collecting data, truly assessing your system, having control groups to ensure that your system actually does what you are implying it does, Taking that level of rigor and bringing it into AI for health is the most important thing that needs to be done. And it's one of the main things we are working on under the focus group on AI for health. So that applies to every aspect of the world. That applies to Africa. It applies to other parts of the world. Uh, the only additional thing is that in different parts of the world, there are different levels of importance that are being placed on just ensuring that whatever system you are putting within the healthcare system or just rolling out to be used on people, you need to make sure that you put you put sufficient effort into testing them. So in Europe, for example, you have the GDPR that protects people, especially when it comes to data. So when it comes to things like privacy, security, that is very important. But then if you take a country like Ghana, we actually have data protection laws that exceed the GDPR much older or a few years older than the GDPR. But then the, the key the key thing there is the consequences. So if you breach the GDPR, there are, there are ramifications that follow strong ramifications, which is not necessarily the case when you are looking at AI, if you're looking at Ghana, for example. So yeah, those are some of the key things that need to be looked at. Um, so, for example, it might be possible for a company, maybe not even of African origin, to take their system because they don't want to deal with the regulatory barriers in uh, Europe or in US and then come to maybe some specific African country, convince some specific city that they should use a system on, on patients uh, without going through the right regulatory process or the right clinical evaluation 
percent that might fly and so those are some of the things that i find very worrisome so when we actually work with the african union on developing strategy strategies and plan for the region of africa those were some of the key points that we or key recommendations that we provided that you should take a strong stance when it comes to ai being applied in healthcare also politics and then public or let's say military applications and when it comes to security so yeah we need to have a strong barrier that yes you you don't want to slow down innovation you want people to be able to develop solutions but at the same time you when it comes to healthcare specifically you want to make sure that they've gone through the right process of properly properly evaluating their ai system with sufficient data so uh yeah those those are the key things let's keep the conversation going send your comments questions and feedback on instagram twitter and facebook at global underscore futures or email hello at globaldigitalfutures.com. We might just give you a shout out on the next episode. And who are the people that are engaged in these conversations to set these policies? So if you look at the different initiatives at this point that are involved in this um, the FDA in the US have some of their own initiative. NHS in the UK have some initiatives of their own. And then there's ours, which is ITU and WHO focus group on AI for health. However, the interesting thing again about the UN initiative is that on some level, it's a collaboration across all these other initiatives. So we've had sessions where people from FDA, NHS, IMDRF, which is the International Medical Device, regulatory forum. We've had also the regulatory group from Africa be present in this. So for our initiative, for example, almost, okay, let me not say almost everyone, but we've engaged a whole lot of people. If it's young people, there are a lot of young people in our uh, initiatives. I, I myself, am quite a young person and I'm very active in this initiative. We had like a 20-year-old that contributed a whole lot to this. There are a lot of young people like myself that are leading some of the topic groups. Some of the vice chairs of this whole initiative are also quite young. When it comes to stakeholders, literally, we have clinicians present. We have AI developers, researchers, scientists, companies. And in my topic group alone, we have about um, 25 people from five different continents. So there's representation from right about everywhere in the world. We have representation from AI companies. We have representation from universities, from medical facilities. We have representation from all this. And that's a topic group. So if you look at the whole focus group, there are a lot of people that uh, are just involved in And I would say one way we're able to achieve this is if you only rely on staying within running these initiatives, let's say in Switzerland, the HQ for UN and ITU, if you decide to run the initiative there and rely on experts that you are aware of. So in that sense, take like some panel together and have them create this. Chances are you are going to have a panel that is made up of primarily Caucasian male. <laughs> That's just the reality of it. Even if you reach out, you might get in a few people from Africa, Middle East, here and there, throwing a few 
just to kind of achieve that diversity. One thing our initiative did, which was interesting, was the moving from region to country to country to country. What that does is that we did one of our workshop and meeting in Zanzibar, in Tanzania. And that's actually where I joined in. So when they ran this initiative about a week or so in Zanzibar, Tanzania, you are then forced to engage the stakeholders within that region. And so there are people that you would probably not have known if you were sitting in Switzerland trying to run this. But if you're actually going to run this with stakeholders from Africa and the East African region, there are a lot of people that you start to draw in based on the people that you engage. And then from there, moving to India to run this, you engage a lot of people from that region, then going to South America. So through this, we've been able to draw in a lot of stakeholders that I would say as far as AI for health, we have one of the most, one of the largest and most diverse network and group that I've come across, at least. I don't think that I've seen any initiative that is truly multilateral in that sense with stakeholders just across the board and people with so much different expertise. And yeah, and some way, somehow we make it all work. It's not perfect, but not all initiatives are like that. Yes, there are a lot of initiatives that are very much limited in the people that are contributing to it. And so the perspectives are also quite limited. Really, really great. And yeah, we, we might forget that you're young with all, all of the experience and the knowledge and exposure and everything you're involved with. It's amazing. Or maybe you've got the energy because you're young. <laughs> it could be, but... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> so just to close, could you name or give one significant significant impact that you think AI is going to have on healthcare, let's say in the near future? So Your top one. Yeah. my So our ambitious goal actually is that in less than five years from now, we want our AI systems to be able to have run a billion different diagnoses. Uh, that's that's when we realize that's at that point that we we will say yes, we're actually having the impacts that we envisage, and then from there we'll see how far we can take it again. So, um, what that means for us is that we've realized that there's a lot of challenges when it comes to diagnostics, especially. That is a there's, a there's a global shortage of clinicians, there's a global shortage of radiologists. It's even more so the case in Africa. The statistics are horrendous. If you look at countries like Liberia, there's only two known radiologists in the whole of Liberia, in the whole country, just two radiologists. So that's one huge gap that we have noticed. So building AI systems, getting them to the point where they can even work when there are no radiologists, and they actually diagnosing not a billion people, but running a billion diagnosis, then people can actually be able to tell what is wrong with them. And then the right response can be uh, taken to improve their healthcare. That's a major issue in, in Africa and then the global south. And there is no, in essence, there's no diagnostics culture. A lot of people die for very simple things that could have been diagnosed, but people don't go for diagnostics because it's either expensive, there's no clinician near them that can do this. So we would like to have AI do this. That is, that is the biggest vision of ours. 
Fantastic. Amazing. Darlington. Thank you so much for your really honest and open perspectives and views. Thank you for sharing all of your knowledge with us. And yeah, we'll all keep up with your progress. I'm sure it's going to be interesting. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode with Darlington Akogo. Follow Darlington on Twitter at Darlingtino and discover more about Mino Health on their website www.minohealth.org. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe and follow. Also, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It will really help with our ranking. And if you enjoyed the episode, please share the podcast with your friends. You can find us online at www.globaldigitalfutures.com and on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook at global underscore futures.